Welcome to Some Like a Pop, Broadway World's pop culture podcast. I am Broadway World and Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini, and as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World's Jennifer McHugh. Jen, happy postseason baseball time. Are you still watching, despite the fact that the Mets aren't involved? Yes, of course. I'm a fan of the game, first and foremost. Yeah, I've watched very little Reds baseball this year because they were eliminated after the third game, pretty much. Uh, But I've been watching a lot. I think I watched more Reds baseball than you did, (laughs) because I saw them live. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I've been watching a lot of baseball. It's nice to be able to turn on a good baseball postseason game during the day while I'm working, um, because these games are starting pretty early on the on the East Coast, starting in the afternoon. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, anyway, you can follow Jen on Twitter at EpineQ. That's E P O N I N E Q, and you can follow me at B W W M A T T. You can follow us both on Twitter at S L I P Podcast. Now, Jen. In our last regular episode, we talked about the fall TV season that we. We're kind of excited for it, not super excited, you know, about some of the shows because a lot of the things that we tend to like are released in the second half of the season, January, February, kind of timed with the prestige part of TV. In the fall, however, it's different with movies because that's when all of the prestige films are released to amp up to the award season. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the movies that we are looking forward to in a lot of different categories, a few things that we aren't, and then... You're going to try to make me a little cooler, um, which is going to be an ongoing project here, hopefully. Uh, and then, per the usual, we will close this episode with a little show and tell. Now, Jen, before we get into all of the movies and the podcast and my coolness, um, Hamilton is still out in Los Angeles. We've had a whole episode about your experience with Hamilton out there. But apparently, you've got another little fun story relating to that show that you wanted to talk about before we dove hot and heavy into the episode. Well, I did go see it again. Shocker. It's here until the 31st. That was my last set of purchased tickets, but I do enter the lottery every day. Um, Also, two of my best friends have won the lottery in the past week, so that is encouraging for all you skeptics out there. It does happen. (laughs) Is there there an online contingent conspiracy theorist group that thinks the lotteries aren't real? I have heard from different people, like, it's just a scam. It's just something to keep your name in the mailing list. It's just... You know, but I, it's definitely that (laughs) it's definitely definitely that too, but But, you know, I, I I do think they are actually giving away tickets. They do. And I now have two firsthand experiences with, um, people winning. So, and they are good seats. My best friends, Jenna and Joe went last weekend and they were in the second row and were just losing their minds. So, uh, it does happen. Anyway, I went to see Hamilton again. These time the seats were in the mezzanine. I've never been in the mezzanine, you know, these are my problems. And, um, Uh, It was really cool to see it from overhead. And as I've said before, I have a friend in the show and I was watching the show and it was really good and everything in intermission. I texted him and I was like, oh, you're you're so wonderful. And he goes, this is the worst show ever. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, oh, my God. How did you not see the desk fall in the first act? So apparently the desk fall and everything flew everywhere. I'm like, I didn't even notice it. He's (laughs) like, well, everyone's messing up. Everyone's freaking out. And and Blankenbuehler's here. I'm like, oh, (laughs) so Andy Blankenbuehler, the choreographer who I assume, and I don't know this for a fact, would probably, he seems to me would drop in every once in a while to make sure everything's still tight. And I think that makes everybody a little nervous. I can see that. So they were all freaking out saying it's the worst show of their life. It wasn't. It was wonderful. (laughs) But it was also a nice, kind of nice to hear that someone in you know, the cast of one of the biggest shows in the world was having a bad night and thinking that they weren't good enough. 
which sounds terrible, but it's like, even when you're at the top of your game, you still are self-conscious a little bit when even though on the outside, everything looks like perfection. So I just thought it was really funny that they were all backstage like, oh my God, the audience is miserable. And around me, the audience is freaking out. So it was just a good kind of lesson in perspective that, you know, even when people look their best and are doing their best, there's still a lot going on inside. And, uh, you know, it was just a big simpatico lesson. Like, you know, everybody's going through their own thing. And that's probably especially true with artists and actors specifically, because even though they might look like they've got everything put together, actors are generally some of the most uh, emotionally available people there. So they tend to uh, be a little bit more dramatic when things don't go the right way, which is one of the blessings and the curses of being a theater artist. It is. And I told my friend that I was with, you know, I'm like, did you see the dusk fall in the first act? He was, yeah, I just thought that was part of the choreography. Nobody knew. <laughs> That's always fun. Hear ye, hear ye! My name is Samuel Seabury, and I present free thoughts on the proceedings of the Continental Congress. Heed not the rabble who scream revolution. They have not your interest at heart. Oh my God, tear this dude apart. Chaos and bloodshed are not a solution. Don't let them lead you astray. This Congress does not speak for me. They're playing a dangerous game. I pray the king shows you his mercy. For shame. For shame. Alright, so let's transition from... Hamilton into this fall movie season. Now, Jen, you and I had originally said that we would talk about the five movies that each of us are looking forward to in this fall season. Then we started looking at the movies that are coming out between now and the end of the calendar year, and we said there are way too many movies we're interested in to limit it to five. So what we're going to do is is we're going to have three main categories. Awards bait, things that we think could be up for awards in one way or another blockbusters, and then miscellaneous, which could just be something that probably doesn't fit either of those categories, but we're still interested as well. We'll kind of rotate through these categories, give you one or two in in each one, and I've got some backups in case we overlap, Jen. But this is a good time for film. You know, you and I always do our favorite movies of the year uh, in January once everything's been released, and this is a time when a lot of them are hitting movie theaters, hitting, in some cases this year, hitting Netflix. There seems to be more really interesting stuff debuting on Netflix than there has been in the past. So I'm excited to see what kind of movies we're both looking at here. So let's start off with what the fall is normally known known for, and that is prestige, awards bait, Academy Award type movies, Jen. So why don't you tell me what movie you are looking forward to the most that fits this specific criteria? The Disaster Artist. Okay. Not on my awards list, on another list, but not on my awards list. I definitely think this is going to surprise some people for some awards. I don't know how many people are familiar with The Room or familiar with this film, but it is the Franco brothers at their best. So they're basically making a movie about the making of the worst movie ever made. 
and James Franco is doing a dead-on impersonation of Tommy Wiseau from The Room. Yeah, okay, so let's 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 step back there. When you say they're making a movie about the worst movie ever made, like literally the best movie ever made. This is not like a fictional worst movie ever made. The movie called The Room, not to be confused with the Oscar-winning Room, but a movie called The Room which has pretty much been panned as the worst movie of all time. This is basically a biopic of that uh, of that director and writer and star who James Franco plays in the film. Although I think a funny sequel would be them making a movie about the making of The Room with James Franco as Brie Larson. That's just my opinion. <laughs> of Room. Yeah, of Room. Anyway, um, it, it got a lot of love. It Was it to TIFF? And um, mm-hmm. it comes out December 1st. And the trailer, the first trailer they dropped was literally just a scene about them having to do like 87 takes to get Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau was not an actor. He was obsessed with the film industry and thought that he was writing the greatest film ever made. He couldn't get it produced, so he decided to make it himself with his friends. And it just, (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen The Room, but it is a tough sit. So this just looks really, really amazingly entertaining to me. And I think that it will get some awards attention. Yeah, this was definitely on my other list. Like, I'm really excited to see this. I've never seen The Room, but I think you actually sent me the trailer, Jen, and I watched it, and it was so idiotic that I felt like I had to see it. I mean, it's got a bunch of people in it. Obviously, the Franco brothers, James and Dave. It's also got Seth Rogen, Allison Brie, who is Dave Franco's wife, Ari Grainer, Josh Hutcherson. Uh, there's a Zach Efron, Hannibal Burris, Jason Manzukis. There's a lot of people. Judd Apatow, Megan Mullally. It's just one of these things that like everybody seems to be in on this joke, except for these characters. And it's just I'm very, very looking forward to this. If this gets, if this is as good as we both think it is. And it gets some award contention. Uh, I would be okay with that. Me too. In my awards bait category, the first thing that I'm the most interested in is a film called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. This is a dark comedy that also premiered at the Toronto National Film Festival uh, earlier this fall. It's actually written by playwright Martin McDonough. Jen, are you familiar with him? Yes. Yeah, he wrote, he's written a lot of, he's Irish. He's written a lot of shows that have had pretty good success here in the U.S., including, uh, The Beauty Queen of Lanon, The Cripple of Inishmon, The Lieutenant of Inishmore, The Pillow Man, A Behanding in Spokane, which had Christopher Walken get a Tony nomination, uh, on Broadway. So he's had a lot of success as a playwright. And this film stars Tony winner Frances McDormand, she of the Canadian all denim tuxedo. Um, and she plays a mother who nine months after her daughter is raped and murdered, She buys three billboards outside of the town she's in that condemn the local police force for failing to find the culprit. Now, you're thinking about that, and you're thinking, that does not sound like a comedy at all, dark or otherwise. But apparently, this movie is just brilliantly fantastic. Everything that's coming out of the film, uh, the film festival circuit is talking about this is one that is going to be tough to beat. It did take home the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival and had very high acclaim coming out of the Venice International Film Festival. And it's got a great cast. In addition to Frances McDormand, who I don't know that I've ever seen do anything not good. It's got Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, Peter Dinklage, Abby Cornish, uh, Lucas Hedges, and more. I I think this is going to be one, Jen, that we're going to be talking about a lot when it comes to... Uh, award season, not only for the actors, Martin McDonough wrote it, he also is directing it. So 
this is, this could be one that gets a lot of buzz depending on how each um, awards group, whether it's the Golden Globes or the Academy Awards, kind of look at this one. But I, I think this is going to be a uh, one to keep an eye on. She's also an Oscar winner. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Frances McDormand, who can do no wrong. She's a. No wrong. No right, and and an Emmy winner as well for Olive uh, Olive Kitteridge. So she's uh, just got to do like a spoken word album or something to try to get that egot. So, all right, Jen. So let's move from these award bait movies. We'll come back to those. Let's go over to blockbusters, and we can define blockbusters in a lot of different ways. So, um, and obviously there'll be some overlap. Some blockbusters will also get um, some award consideration and vice versa with some of our other lists, but. Looking at these big tentpole, big budget, big studio films, what is the one that you are most interested in this fall? Star Wars. Yep, that's first on my list, too, so I'll let (laughs) you go ahead and do that one. I already have my tickets. Yes, The Last Jedi comes out uh, December 15th. It's got a lot of, I think it might do okay at the box office, you know, um... (laughs) It's the obviously the second part of the trilogy for the the last three stories of the Star Wars saga, and of course there's a lot of bittersweetness going into it with the death of Carrie Fisher, and also the last movie ended with the first appearance of Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, so he will be a, a central figure in this film as well. Um, everybody's been obsessed with the trailer that apparently dropped during football. I don't watch football, but I was waiting for it online and it's a really great trailer because it tells you everything and nothing, which are my favorite kind of trailers. Mm-hmm. And um super excited. December 15th. Uh, I feel like you're going to see enough advertising that I don't have to remind you when it's coming out. So, yeah. but that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much mystery surrounding uh, this film, The Last Jedi, which as soon as they announced that title, people were like, well, Jedi can be plural or singular, so is it saying that Rey's the last singular Jedi, or that this group is the last Jedi, you know, so it's a really interesting thing. I'm really excited to see where they take Rey, because I I think that her character, she was so strong and so noble in that first film, I don't know that she's going to be that throughout the entire run of this trilogy. I have a feeling that she might... Um, go back and forth. If you listen to another show that I do, um, I interviewed Leslie Margarita, who's a, a theater star, if you don't know, but she's a huge Star Wars fan. And she's kind of saying her theory is that Rey is going to be what's known as a gray Jedi, which is, I guess, something that exists that I didn't know. And she's going to kind of be split between the light and the dark. So keep an eye out for that. Um, okay, my also block- heard, Hold on. Go I've ahead. also heard that the titles could be a continuing sentence. The Force Ooh. Awakens the Last Jedi. And we don't know what the last one is going to be yet, do we? No, we do not. It's just like episode nine or whatever at this point. Mm-hmm. All right. The Force Awakens the Last Jedi episode nine. Okay. I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So my uh, blockbuster film is probably one that will get awards consideration, especially in the Golden Globes, I think, especially. And that is The Greatest Showman, which is a new biographical movie musical that is being directed by Michael Gracie and written by Jenny Bix and Bill Condon, who Bill Condon has a lot of musical theater experience. But the score was written by a team that you might have heard of if you are familiar with 
um, well, pretty much anything at this point because they're everywhere, of Binge Pasek and Justin Paul. This movie musical centers on the great American showman P.T. Barnum, the founder of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. P.T. Barnum is being played by the one Hugh Jackman. It also stars Zac Efron, Michelle Williams, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, and some uh, a few other Broadway folks, including the phenomenal Kiala Settle, who is playing the bearded lady Lit- uh, Letty Lutz. Um, and there's some more people in there. The, the, the legendary Diane Carroll, Will Swenson, who's a Broadway star. I'm Eric Anderson, who's a Broadway star. This one comes out on Christmas Day. And they've been kind of releasing some of the songs and some trailers and stuff. Kiala Settle sang one of the songs from the show at Elsie Fest, which is an outdoor music festival in New York for, you know, theater folks that happened uh, a couple weeks ago, earlier in October. And the music is not what you would think from a movie musical about P.T. Barnum. It is a little bit more contemporary. Pask and Paul wrote the lyrics for La La Land, but not the music. They won Tonys for Dear Evan Hansen as well. And they're some of, despite the fact that they went to the University of Michigan. They are one of my favorite, if not my favorite, young writing teams writing for the musical theater. So I have a feeling this one is going to be very good. And Jen, we talked about, after the Spider-Man movie, how much we enjoyed Zendaya. And I'm really looking to see her do something this, too. She has a singing and, and dancing background. She plays a trapeze artist in this. So I'm excited to kind of see her grow into a bigger star based off of what we've seen already in the past six months or so. Well, fun facts. First of all, I had this too, but in the awards category. So clearly you and okay. I have different ideas yeah. of stuff, but whatever. Uh, P.T. Barnum is one of my all-time heroes. I really? was in the musical Barnum. It was one of my first musicals I was ever in. And I fell in love with his story and wound up doing my senior uh, thesis in high school on his life. So, hmm. so excited for this movie. Barnum's one of my favorite musicals. And he, Come I mean. the band. Oh, God, forget it. Um, it was one of my the most fun musicals I've ever and You're literally just in a circus for two hours every night. Yeah. And um, the music's a little dated, but, you know, it's the incomparable Jim Dale and Glenn Close. And oh, it's wonderful. But he has a fascinating story. He was a very flawed person who isn't. But it's a very fascinating story, even if you have no desire to learn about the circus. Yeah. Very cool. I did not know that. That's good. That's, that's very interesting. Um, and I will admit that this was on my awards list first, but I had too many in my awards list that, that I felt like I needed to move it to somewhere else just to, you know, I had to move something off of that list to kind of balance things out. So I moved it to the uh, blockbuster ones. But so it, it's, it's as much about um, uh, having enough in each category <laughs> as it is about where they actually fit. But all right, Jen. So let's go now to our other categories. Something that is a little weird, probably a little kooky, maybe, maybe not awards bait, probably not something that's going to get a huge release, but something that we are interested in nonetheless. What do you have uh, in, in this little subsection of categories? Well, I was also trying to think of things that you would never be interested in, and, and here we go. Okay. It's called uh, My Friend Dahmer, and it is a <laughs> biopic about a guy who was friends with Jeffrey Dahmer in high school. Okay, this isn't the one um, with Taylor Kitsch, right? No, no. Okay, there's something is, going on where he plays – oh, no, no, he plays the Unabomber. That's right. Okay, correct. never mind. He's Go playing ahead. Timothy McVeigh. This – Oh, oh, no, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Timothy McVeigh. This is based on a, a book. Um, this guy went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer, and he wrote a book about what he was like in high school. And this film <laughs> is based on that. And, uh, you know, I have a thing for true crime, which we'll talk about later, but um, – 
I just watched the trailer. Vincent Carthizer and Anne Heche are probably the biggest names in it, but it's a little indie film. It did a, a little premiere at Tribeca, but it looks really good to me. And I, I'm sure you have no interest, but it looks really I haven't fun. heard of it. I had no idea. Um, and I'll edit all this out, but uh, <laughs> Taylor Kitsch is actually playing David Koresh. So we were both completely wrong. Um, huh. Good to yeah, know. He, it's in a mini series called Waco that's going to be on something called the Paramount yes. Network, which I didn't know okay. existed either. Um, anyway, all right, yeah, not something that I even knew existed, but um, definitely fits your bill. But I will say that while we don't list him on our famous alumni list, apparently Jeffrey Dahmer went to Ohio State for a while. I don't know if that's true. I think that's true. Um, yeah. He did start killing the summer before his um, freshman year of college, so – do it that way. Okay, great. Um, okay, Jen, I, I don't know if you would pin this one as something that I'm looking forward to, but I'm the one I'm looking at for this category is something called Downsizing. It stars Matt Damon, Christoph Waltz, Jason Sudeikis, Kristen Wiig, and more. This is one of those uh, movies that premiered at the Venice Film Festival back in August. And it is a science fiction comedy drama. I'll read you the, the actual description so I don't screw any of this up. But downsizing imagines what might happen if, as a solution to overpopulation, Norwegian scientists discover how to shrink humans to five inches tall and, pro- and propose a 200-year global transition from big to small. So they basically shrink humans and they live in miniature worlds. This sounds so absolutely ludicrous that I love it. The trailer is hilarious. It's going to be released on December 22nd. Um, I'm sure it won't be a wide release, uh, but it's very, it looks so funny. The, the There's a bunch of other people in it as well, which is another reason why it caught my eye. James Vanderbeek is in it. Margot Martindale, Niecy Nash, the great Donalyn Champlin um, from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Laura Dern, um, a bunch of people, Alec Baldwin, Bruce Willis. It's just one of these movies that looks like everybody is having a great time because it's such a ridiculous topic. Something along the lines of The Lobster from a few years ago that you liked better than I did. But I'm all in on this weird kooky concept type of movie okay not on your list i take it it's not no okay all right well let's go back to the awards bait stuff jen what else do you have in this category i'm going to talk about mudbound uh which is coming out on netflix on november 17th and it's about the post-world war ii life in the mississippi delta and kind of dealing with the um, – I know there's a character who's dealing with you know PTSD, obviously, before it was identified as that. A lot of racism. And I think one of the things that fascinates me about this is that there's a lot of Oscar buzz for Mary J. Blige as a supporting actress. Wow. And I've never seen her perform in anything but Rock of Ages, which wasn't exactly Oscar bait. But um, Netflix is really coming into their own as a an original film content organization so this looks really good check it out mudbound okay i am going to stick with netflix actually i'm going to go with the meyerowitz stories new and selected this is one that again premiered at a film festival at the cons film festival and was one of the main contenders for their best picture uh, award and actually won what's called the palm dog award which is the alternative award given out by the international film critics, not one of the one that's actually judged by the uh, adjudicators from the film festival. 
And when I tell you who's in this movie and the fact that it's gotten all these awards, some of them you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I get that. Oh, yeah, I get that. And then the rest are going to be like, wait, what? So here are the people that make sense. Dustin Hoffman, Elizabeth Marvel, Emma Thompson, Candace Bergen, um, and then some more Judd Hirsch, Adam Driver, Sigourney Weaver. But then you throw in people like Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler. And the fact that Adam Sandler is the one coming out of this as the one with the most Oscar buzz is completely and it's mind boggling to me, especially because he has this relationship with Netflix to make crappy movies in perpetuity. And yet this is something that he didn't make. He's starring in it. But this is going to be something that actually might get him an Academy Award nomination. The story uh, centers on Danny and Matthew, Adam and Ben Stiller, and and Jean, who's their sister. And they're all contending with the long shadow of their strong-willed father, played by Dustin Hoffman, and what he's done to their lives. Uh, Jen, I, I don't know much more about this other than people are saying Academy Award and Adam Sandler in the same sentence. And it's absolutely blowing my mind. Well, I felt that way a few years ago when they were saying Academy Award and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, but but that at least made sense because, I mean, he was an Academy Award winner as a writer already and he was returning to his most acclaimed role. This is so far out of left field for what Adam Sandler has done for decades. I mean, I feel like the last legitimate film he did was Punch Drunk Love, which is a movie that I love, um, but he hasn't really done anything of substance in 20 years. Yeah, I'm I'm. Alluding to the fact that maybe people evolve, and he has been known for his ridiculous. I mean, why would he change? He brings in millions of dollars doing his ridiculous shtick. But if he as a person wants to evolve into something like this, you know, more power to him. Fair enough. All right, Jen. So let's go back to the blockbusters. What's the next blockbuster that you're looking forward to? I have on my list Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, Lord. And that's coming out on December 20th. I never saw Jumanji. I I've never seen the original movie, but I saw this trailer and I laughed so hard at it. And it's just this cast is undeniable. And it's about these four teens who find the game and get sucked into it. You know, the same world, I guess, that Robin Williams did in the first one. But they're adult. They're adults. And, you know, the little nerdy guy becomes Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And this Instagram obsessed teenage girl becomes Jack Black. And. (laughs) Kevin Hart and Karen Gillan and uh, Bobby Cannavale, who does no wrong. And it just looks like a really fun holiday family movie that I hope that I can convince uh, Drunk Brothers to go see over the holidays. But it just looked like a good time. So I'm really excited for that. All right. That was one that I thought about putting on my no interest list. I didn't. Um, I've got some better ones over there. Um, but yeah, the mine actually fits in that same category that looks like a fun holiday family type movie. And speaking of can't do wrong, mine stars Anna Kendrick, who in my world is... Damn it, this was my other choice. <laughs> ...is perfect. Um, and this is Pitch Perfect 3. I loved the first Pitch Perfect. I thought it was brilliant. The second one... Not as brilliant, but actually a little bit more emotional for me uh, than that one. And this one seems to be, I guess, wrapping up the trilogy, unless someone throws a bunch of money at it because it's, you know, all the the advertising says last call pitches, which is pretty funny. Uh, but this is all, everybody from the Barden Bellas is now graduated from college, and their lives aren't exactly going as planned. And so I guess Anna Camp's character, Anna Camp is back on Broadway right now in Time in the Conways. She proposes doing something with the USO. 
and they go on another competition-y type performance thing. I hope that Flu Leborg and Das Sound Machine, or whatever they're called, um, appears again at some point, because uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the second one. But, you know, it, I love these movies. I love Anna Kendrick. I love Rebel Wilson. I love Brittany Snow, Anna Camp, uh, Haley Steinfeld, uh, Elizabeth Banks, of course, John Michael Higgins. So good. The guys from the first two movies, uh, Skylar Astin, uh, Anna Camp's real-life husband, and Tony Winter Ben Platt are not in this at all, which I think is fine, Jen. Like, these movies have always been about the women at the core of the story, and they've grown into that throughout the years. And I think that's probably the way to wrap this story up, is to have it just be about the Bellas themselves. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the Pitch Perfect world. I, I am sad that they're not in it, but I see your point, and that's valid. But I mean, this this introduced Ben Platt to me, and I just love his character in this movie mm. so much. So, but I agree. I mean, that's it's a good way to end it. All right, Jen. So let's go into our potpourri category again. What else do you have that's outside of the awards and blockbuster film stuff? I found a trailer for a film called Lady Bird. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Okay, go ahead. And this is the debut, um, directorial debut by Greta Gerwig. She also wrote it. And it stars one of my favorite actresses, uh, Saoirse Ronan, and my absolute favorite actress, Laurie Metcalf, as mother and daughter. And it's really about their relationship and, you know, a mother dealing with a teenage daughter. And it just hits all the right notes for me because my mother and I were always at odds because we were the same exact person. And these two in the scene together acting and her dad's played by Tracy Letts, you know, no small feat there. <laughs> and it's just it. It's just one of those quirky Greta Gerwig comedies that looks like it's going to tug at your heartstrings in all the right places. And it was a big hit at the Telluride Film Festival. I think it's coming to theaters on November 3rd. That's what I've heard. I know these dates change all the time with holiday releases, but the trailer's really funny, and I hope that it turns out to be as good as I want it to be. Yeah, it looks – it. yeah, it sounds like the all the ingredients are there to be something really, really cool. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. And to keep with the Ben Platt theme – uh, ben Platt's best friend, Beanie Feldstein, is in the movie. Beanie Feldstein is currently in Hello, Dolly! on Broadway. Jen, are you familiar with who Beanie Feldstein is? Yes. Her brother is Jonah Hill, um, and she was in the Neighbors 2 movie with Seth Rogen and stuff. So, uh, But she is in Lady Bird as well, so that, that's very cool. All right, so mine here, Jen, I might cheat a little bit here because I guess this is a British movie that's that was released in late September in the UK, and I don't know if it's going to be here anywhere. Um, it it did premiere in, at a film festival in Texas, and it is just so weird that I have to talk about this. And it is a Christmas movie, um, so I feel like it fits. It is called Anna and the Apocalypse. There is not a single name in here that I know at all. I know nothing about this, like these people that made this movie who are in this movie, but let me read the description. A zombie apocalypse threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven at Christmas, forcing Anna and her high school friends to fight, sing, and slash their way to survival with a fast-spreading undead horde in relentless pursuit. You got that right. This is a Christmas zombie movie musical. I don't know how I could not love this. Like, literally, I would marry this if this was a human being. 
So Anna and the Apocalypse, I'm hoping we c- it gets a release here or ends up on Netflix by the end of this year because it's gotten great reviews. Um, a lot of the people who saw it at the Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas, raved about it. The aggregate Dread Central, which is kind of a horror movie uh, website aggregator, is giving it five out of five stars. And it says it's not just a great movie, but a great musical as well. That's That's really all I need. It's probably going to be just ridiculous, but I'm okay with that. I've never heard of it, but okay. Yeah, it's it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I'm I'm okay with that. All right, Jen, we've done a couple of revolutions of these uh, different categories that we have, but let's just kind of run through some quick ones. Let's just say what they are, who's in them, real quick when they're released, and and kind of wrap these up. So, what else do you have in terms of of award bait movies, real quick? I have two more: um, Murder on the Orient Express for November 10th, and The Shape of Water, December 8th. Murder on the Orient Express is an all-star cast. Obviously, it's a uh, mm-hmm. huge award bait with all those people. And it's just an old-fashioned murder mystery. I believe it's based a uh, reboot of an older Agatha. film. It's Agatha an Agatha Christie. Christie novel, but it's been made into films and plays a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And The Shape of Water, or as I like to call it, uh, Guillermo del Toro's King Kong. <laughs> but um, I, Sally Hawkins has all the Oscar buzz for Best Actress. And just from the trailer, you can tell that it's everything like that you ever see in an Oscar trailer for Best Actress. So yeah. that looks really interesting, and he never fails for me. It, I might be getting this wrong. Is this the one where she's a janitor or something or falls in love with a blind janitor or something? No, that is incorrect. She is okay. a – well, she's a cleaning lady, but she falls okay. in love with a monster in a tank. So Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's playing a, she's playing a mute, and gotcha. she can communicate with this with this being. I knew and that she blind, it, yeah. Yeah, blind, mute. I knew there was something weird going on there. Okay. All right. The two that I have for Words Bait are both actually um, based off of real-life experiences. The first is called Molly's Game. It's written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, who is making his directorial debut. It is based on the life of a woman named Molly Bloom, who basically ran an underground poker ring that catered to big-time Hollywood people, athletes, business tycoons, and the Russian mob. Then the government came after her. Um, this stars uh, an amazing cast. Jessica Chastain plays Molly Bloom. It has Idris Elba, uh, Kevin Costner, King George III, the first, Brian Darcy James, Chris O'Dowd, Michael Sarah, Bill Camp, and, and many, many more. So a great cast. This gets released on December 25th on Christmas. You know, I love me some Aaron Sorkin dialogue. So I'm totally all in on this. And then the other one, Jen, which I don't know if this is something that fits into your true crime purview or not, but is a movie called I, Tanya, uh, which actually focuses on the life of Tanya Harding, played by Margot Robbie, which is really interesting to me. She wouldn't have been who I picked, but it also co-stars Allison Janney as her mother. It has Sebastian Stan, who I know that you uh, you are a fan of as well, and the aforementioned Bobby Cannavale is in it as well. So this is a movie that looks back at the clubbing of Nancy Kerrigan's leg leading up to the Olympics. This is going to be released um, on December 8th. So these are two movies based off of real life experiences and real life situations uh, that I'm very much looking forward to. Okay. All right. Do you have anything else in your blockbuster category? Um, the, the only thing I have is the snowman because 
I just want an old-fashioned crime thriller with Michael Fassbender running around in snow. And Merry Christmas, I have one. Yeah. So that opens next weekend. At, well, I should say October 20th. And yeah. um, it's based on a best-selling novel, which I never read. So I'm going in surprised. Um, I do have two more on my blockbuster list. Thor Ragnarok, enough said. But I'm actually really looking forward to Justice League because I I know I've been burned by DC movies plenty of times. But I have to think at some point they're going to learn the lessons of the the great Marvel Cinematic Universe success, the failure of Suicide Squad, and then the success of Wonder Woman, and try to make these movies a little less dark and a little bit more interesting. The fact that Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is in there makes me a little bit more interested. I think the introduction of Ezra Miller as The Flash seems to be bringing some humor in it as well. So I've got my fingers crossed that this works. If it doesn't, I don't know that I could be convinced to see any more DC movies, Jen, because uh, they seem to be splintering off into a lot of just weirdness that I don't know that I'm all in for. All right, Jen, anything else in your weird list? Yes, I have two on that one, too. Uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Oh, speaking of Wonder Woman, there you go. Do you know you know about this one, right? I do. Yes, I, I mean that's literally it's about the creation of Wonder Woman. Yes, I'm, everything's in the title about this man and his wife and his girlfriend. Okay, uh, and how he de- he <laughs> creates the Wonder Woman cartoon. So it the cartoon comic, and uh, it looks really interesting. And the other one is seventy eight fifty two. Have you heard of that? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. That is the scene number for the shower scene in Psycho. Oh, yeah, yeah, the hitch. Yeah, okay, yes, I, I have seen that, yeah. Documentary just about that scene, all the edits, all of the filming, all of the, you know, research behind it. It's literally a two-hour movie about one scene, number 7852. And I also want to say that I didn't include any documentaries in this list because, besides that, um, I haven't did it. I haven't done a deep dive into documentaries yet, but I would like to on a future episode discuss yeah. some documentaries. I don't know if you're really into them, but I uh, love documentaries and want to talk about them more. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Maybe we can do that in our Jen makes Matt cool section at some point to try to get <laughs> me up on the documentaries. So, all right, the only other thing that I have, what's that? One, just one quick shout out to the movie Stronger. Oh, about yeah, yeah. By, written by uh, an acquaintance of mine named John Polano. He's a member really? of the theater company I'm involved in in L.A., and he wrote a few of the plays that I worked on, including Lost Girls. Yeah, well, Lost Girls had a big uh, off-Broadway run a year or so ago. Yes, and I know him personally, and this is his first f- screen debut, and that's he's awesome. getting a lot of that, so I'm super happy for him. Yeah, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Tatiana Maslany, so that's, uh, that's awesome. Very cool. Shabby. All right, so the last one that I have on this list is called I Kill Giants. This is a movie that is being released later this year. I don't know the exact date, but it stars mainly the only two people you're going to know are Zoe Saldana and Imogen Poots. Um, and it's based off of a graphic novel in which it follows a kind of an outcast girl who's kind of a geek, loves Dungeons and Dragons, but she is convinced that giants are real and they're coming, and it's her responsibility to kill them when they show up so it just it's one of those things that it hits a lot of the sweet spots in me it's a little indie film based off a graphic novel has some interesting has a good cast has a really interesting concept so i'm excited to see i kill giants when it is eventually released later this year (music) 
Okay, Jen. So those are our lists on the things we are looking forward to. We aren't going to spend much more time on this list, but I did want to hit anything that you are planning to avoid like the plague. Anything uh, that comes to mind that you have zero interest in seeing. And before we get into that, I do want to say that there are obviously things that are I have no interest in seeing, and I included one of them. But I also tried to focus on things that I think I should be interested in, but I'm not. So obviously there's a lot of those things that I won't even like look twice at, like Medea's boo to you or whatever. She, Medea's doing some sequel. Obviously I don't give a crap about that movie. Uh, but I tried to pick a couple movies that had elements that would make me feel like I should like it, but I have no interest nonetheless. Does that make sense? Yes, because two of mine were on your want to see list. Oh, so okay, good. I do feel like I should want to see them and I don't. Okay, fair enough. Go ahead. I think one of them you'll agree with because it's just ridiculous and I don't know why it was made, but it's going to make a lot of money and that's Jigsaw um, opening <laughs> Halloween weekend. It's another movie in the Saw thing. It's it's gore. It has its audience. It's going to make a lot of money. Do me a favor on that day. Watch Stranger Things because it's way better <laughs> and it's just uh, better written and better acted. But the other two are Justice League and Molly's Game. And I don't know what my issue is with Jessica Chastain. I, do, I don't know what it is about her. I'm sh- yeah. I, I know everyone loves her. I don't. I, yeah, I'm and not I, a huge fan either. I love Aaron Sorkin. Like you said, his dialogue is incomparable to anyone in the world. I want so much to want to see this movie, and the trailer bores me to tears. So I'm sure I'll be wrong. I'm sure it'll be wonderful and win a lot of awards, but I don't have any desire to see it. And Justice League, it's everything you said. You're giving it one more chance, and I'm out of chances. Wonder Woman was wonderful. I'm so happy it was a success. I don't think she can carry this on her own. So I'm not going to do it. I just can't. Suicide Squad burned me. Yeah, I avoided Suicide Squad. I just never saw it. So I think like if, if I had seen it, I probably would feel the same way. Um, but yeah, okay. I, I think those are totally fair. I, from what I understand, Molly's Game is kind of the best and worst of Aaron Sorkin all wrapped into one. The great storytelling, the incredible dialogue, but also kind of the latent systemic subconscious misogyny where even though it's about this very strong and powerful and scheming woman, that a lot of it happens around her, which I think is something that happens a lot in Aaron Sorkin TV shows and movies. But that's probably for another conversation. Um, mine, Jen, mine are one thing that I think is made by people that should make me love it, one that stars people that should make me love it, and then one that is just god-awful and I can't believe it was made. The one that I think I should like is called Suburbicon. This is the new Coen Brothers movie. It's written by Joel and Ethan Coen, along with George Clooney and Grant Heslov, and George Clooney directs it. It stars Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, and Oscar Isaac, who I think is incredible. It's about this town that seems like it should be really peaceful and the nice uh, suburbia, but it actually has a really violent and criminal underbelly, which of course makes sense for a Coen Brothers film. But there's just something about this that seems so cynical to me at this time. Like, I feel like when things were going really well in the country in the 90s and and Bill Clinton, had, you know, as the economy was going super well, the Coen Brothers movies like Fargo had a little bit more of a subversive edge because they were reminding us of things that weren't at the forefront. I think with the fact that 
let's be honest, our world is going to hell in a handbasket. And if, you know, the volcano under Yellowstone National Park doesn't explode the world, North Korea or Iran or Donald Trump might do it anyway. And I just don't, this just seems, it seems to be redundant when it's the world that we're living in. So I don't know if that's why I, I'm not interested in it. This is released on October 27th, but I love the Coen brothers. I love Clooney. I love this cast. It's just, I have zero interest to dive into this one, especially because this is a movie that has, they initially wrote this script 31 years ago. Um, and it, obviously there's probably a reason it's been kicking around for that long. The, another movie that Jen, I did not know about until I started looking through some things. And this seems so odd that I don't even understand how this got made. It's a new movie called Crash Pad, which stars one of the weirdest combinations of actors I've ever seen. The great Domin Hall Gleason is in it. As well as the equally but differently great Christina Applegate. Then it stars Thomas Hayden Church and Nina Dobrev from The Vampire Diaries. I have no idea how those people are all in a movie together, but it's about, um, Diamond Hall Gleason's character is having an affair with, uh, Christina Applegate's character, and it's not until after the fact that he learns that she's only sleeping with him to get back at her husband, and then her husband finds out, and then he gets back at her by moving in to Diamond Hall Gleason's apartment with him. What? I don't understand. I love Diamond Hall Gleason. I love Christina Applegate. But this is just weird to me. And then the last one on my list here, Jen, is called Geostorm. Yep. It's called Geostorm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Disaster porn. Disaster porn. It's got Gerard Butler, Jim Sturgis, Abby Cornish, who I mentioned earlier, Ed Harris, Andy Garcia. It's just one of those things where I think there's some sort of science fiction thing in here where it's like it's being controlled by some government organization. Like satellites are controlling the weather, which is actually was a storyline back with the Cassidines on General Hospital in the 80s. Richard Schiff is in it as well. But like they all of a sudden have floods in the country. They have earthquakes. They have hurricanes. It all happens at once. I just, man, again, real life. And I know this has been made for a while, so it's not like they could have anticipated this. But I have no interest in seeing that at any time. But especially when we still have millions of American citizens in the Caribbean, whether it's the Virgin Islands or Puerto Rico, trying to get back from actual disasters, not to mention everything that happened here in Florida and in, in Texas. Uh, zero interest. None. Pass. I can't disagree with any of those. I think if you love Domin Hall Gleason, you should check out the Christopher Robin movie. That looks way more his style. Yeah, I'm skipping that one, too. But uh, but yeah, that's probably okay. fair. Good talk. Deep in the Of Christopher's childhood days A donkey named Eeyore is his friend And Kanga and Little Woo And Tigger too There's Rabbit and Piglet And there's Owl But most of all Winnie the Pooh Winnie the Pooh Winnie the Pooh Every little cubby all stuffed with Okay, Jen, we're going to do this segment that I talked about where you try to make me cool. And here's where it came from. There's two of these topics that I want to dive into here over the next few few episodes. One is based off of a podcast that I listened to called Mogul. Have you listened to that podcast yet? 
Um, I've heard of it. The hip hop one? Yes, it's a um, a collaboration between Gimlet Media and and the Mogul Network, where they look at the life of hip hop producer and manager Chris Lighty, and I loved it. I've always kind of liked that '90s and 2000s hip hop, but I've never, you know, kind of lived in that musical realm as much as you have. So I thought, you know what? I really like this. I I should get more into this music. And I thought, well, Jen's really into this music. Maybe I could have her give me some pointers. So we're going to talk about that hip hop introduction in a future episode. But this other one, this idea that we're going to start with, um, came this last few weeks because I updated my iOS uh, operating system on my phone. And this stupid update completely destroyed my podcast user. I use the Apple podcast and it's completely unusable. Now you can't tell what shows have new episodes. You can't order things as easily. You can't move things around. And if you do, you have to click like through five different menus to find it. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to get rid of all the podcasts that I don't really listen to all that often, especially because I've got like five or six different podcasts that are pretty much the same thing that just recycle guests. And it's the same thing. And I should ask Jen, who listens to completely different podcasts than I do to recommend some podcasts that can make me cooler rather than listening to the same stupid dorky podcast that I always do. So Jen, I am going to commit to you that if you recommend, I don't know how many we said, three, four, five podcasts, I will listen to either the newest episode or an episode you suggest to try to hopefully get into some cooler things and vary up my normal podcast listening. So I will turn it over to you. I don't know what you've come up with, but I am at your mercy in terms of podcasts. Okay, well, first of all, you're really overselling my coolness factor. Um, Well, I didn't say you were cool. I said you liked cool things, or at least I inferred that you liked cooler things than I do. Well, actually, you implied it. I inferred it. Whatever. Um, Okay, so I came up with four, and I went in four different genres. One, uh, true crime. One, to try and help you get woke, as the kids say. Uh, like a I, long form comedy show and an interview show. Okay, I'm fairly woke for a straight white guy. I'm just saying. Okay, but this is going to help you get woker. <laughs> okay. All right, go ahead. All right, so let's start with limited true crime, and this is brand new podcast, six episodes. It's a show called Dirty John. L.A. Times came out with it last week, and it's about a case out of from out here in California, from Newport Beach. Um, the episodes are no more than 40 minutes long. It's literally just a story about a, a dating situation gone wrong. I know you're not really into the true crime, but sometimes it's interesting to hear about one case. And it's not, you know, two years long like serial. It's it's literally six episodes. I think you can handle it. And the case is really interesting. Dirty John. Any interest? Yeah. Um, you're right. I don't love the true crime stuff, mainly because I just don't like listening to stories about like, brutal murders and stuff like our friends Patrick and Jillian host true crime obsessed and I'll I'll listen to some of their episodes that are not as much about the murder and you know the grisly murders I listened to one where they talked about Banksy and one where this aunt drove on the wrong side of the road and killed her family but it wasn't a murder it was maybe she was drunk or maybe she had a stroke or something so yeah I'm sure this Sounds like it's more of a murdery, prostitute type thing. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I can do that in limited doses, I think. Uh, that documentary was There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Yes. It's on HBO and it's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. The second one about you getting a little woke is Black on the Air. And it's Larry Wilmore's podcast. I don't know hmm. if you were a fan of his show when he was on the air when he did um, 
the nightly show. The nightly show, yeah. I really like his commentary. He, he he just for some reason he makes a lot of sense to me, and he takes issues that anger me and puts them in a perspective that makes me like, yes, that's a very good point. He now has a weekly podcast called Black on the Air. He has great guests on to discuss. Uh, issues of the day, you know, he's very outspoken against our fearful leader. Fearful, and, um, I like that. <laughs> and like, just to give you an inkling, he refers to him as um, Orange Julius Caesar. Oh, that's well done. That is very yeah. well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, he's just really interesting. I think I think you would actually really enjoy him if if you can listen to the one he talks to Michael Bennett from the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. about the ongoing controversy with the NFL. And it's a great discussion. And it's not – and I think that's what it is, is that he has discussions. He doesn't have arguments. And granted, these people are mostly on the same page, but it's just a discussion of things going on, and you just don't see that anymore. So that's my second one I would recommend. What do you think? Yeah. No, I mean I didn't I didn't love The Nightly Show, but I also didn't hate it. So I would uh, – yeah, I, I'm down with that, especially the Michael Bennett episode. That seems very interesting. Um, I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, but this one is probably my favorite and it's probably the oldest and it's called Never Not Funny. Um, I don't know if you are a fan of comedian Jimmy Pardo. Do you know him? I know of him. His sense of humor really resonates with me. He's very quick. He's very, very sarcastic. And he's also a diehard musical theater lover. Mm -hmm. And... He has, so I'm going to recommend to you the episode with Rory O'Malley. He has in, um, he's a huge Hamilton fan and he got Rory to come in. Um, and it's a long form. I mean, they, it's mostly two hour episodes. So I don't know if this is something you would listen to on a regular basis or if you need something for background noise. This is really great to have on, um, because it's not something you have to follow closely. It's just like them sitting around and chatting for a few hours. Uh, so that's my comedy recommendation. I'm done with that. Uh, yeah, you've mentioned – I think you actually mentioned the Roy O'Malley episode on our Hamilton uh, uh, episode a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm down with that. I would either recommend that one or the – he has Anthony Rapp on all the time. And Anthony Rapp was actually the one who recommended Hamilton to him, hmm. and he had never heard of it. But yeah. Anthony Rapp and him play off each other really well. And I know you're not an Anthony Rapp fan, no. but still, they're very funny together. And the last one I was going to recommend is an interview show called How to Be Amazing. Have you heard of that? No, I don't think so. But it sounds amazing. It is Michael Ian Black. Oh, and now you're yeah, thinking, yeah. oh, outspoken comedian, Michael Ian Black. But he's actually a really good interviewer. And he really just interviews people that he thinks are amazing. So I'm going to recommend to you the Lori Metcalf interview, which I feel like Perfect. you'll be on board with. Mm-hmm. And that was just a week or two ago. So you should find it towards the top. So, awesome. um, But he's actually a really good interviewer. And he does this thing at the end of every show where he just asks for their personal recommendations in generic categories like food or books or movies. And they just tell them what their favorite thing is or what they're into right at that moment. I like it. I think these will, these will help me kind of branch out from what I normally listen to because – Generally, when it comes to podcasts, it's it's well, I haven't been listening to a lot lately, but it's, you know, I listen to Nerdist, but I'd also listen to um, Off Camera, and and um, I think you're interesting, and they're all pretty much the same show, and it's just gotten in a rut. So uh, my 
go-to podcast, my favorite podcast is Reply All from Gimlet. Uh, but I also love Startup on Gimlet and, and a show called The Pitch, but also The Secret to Victory. I listen to a lot of Gimlet stuff, which is great, but it has the same kind of storytelling vibe. It has the same kind of pattern a lot of times, although The Secret to Victory, which is about sports, is shorter. They're about 15 minutes, so that's a little different. But I just felt like I needed something to change in my daily listening. So these are awesome. I will definitely listen to these and check back in on our next episode. So thank you, Jen. I feel cooler already. (laughs) We've got a long way to go. Yeah. Well, I said cooler, but you know, that's a degrees thing. So just play it cool, boy. Real action easy cool baby John alright Jen per the usual we're going to close the show with a little show and tell where we auditorily show everybody something and then tell them why it's interesting um, I feel like I've been making you go first a lot today so I'll go ahead and go first on this one um, I, I just coincidentally stumbled across an article from the website The Verge that is uh, from about two years ago actually two years ago this week and the title of the article is Tracing the Long Strange History of Tom's Diner Jen are you familiar with the song Tom's Diner? Very much. Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega. I remember, well, first off, the song was originally written in 1982, first released in 84, um, then again released in 85 and 87 on a couple different, you know, as people move up to actual big releases. Um, I was a little young for those, but I first remember this song coming into my life in around 1990 when it was mixed by a British electronic group called DNA. And then it was later kind of repackaged as Tom's Tom's Diner by DNA featuring Suzanne Vega. And I have distinct memories about hearing this song on the radio. It was a top 10 hit at the time. And it absolutely creeped me to hell out. I don't know why. It just got this weird um, kind of vibe to it, especially with this hip-hop trippy remix and it just freaked me the hell out and still to this day i can still like if i listen to it i still get goosebumps not because it freaks me out anymore but just kind of remembering how creepy it was back in the day but then when i saw this article they go through this long history about how she wrote it what you know some of the references were the fact that seinfeld um use the exterior of Tom's restaurant as their cafe in Seinfeld. That's actually the restaurant that Suzanne Vega was referencing in the song. Um, and all these different people that have used it in the past, including Destiny's Child, Danger Mouse, uh, Tupac, all this stuff. It's really, really fascinating. And then they also, I guess, the, the thing that brought it to mind is somebody named uh, Giorgio Morader um, released an, uh, a version of it in 2015 that featured Britney Spears doing the vocals. And it's a much different song with her singing. It's more upbeat with a lot of kind of the crazy, funky house music going on around it. So um, for some reason, this song has stuck with me now for 27 years. And this, I, when I found this article a couple of weeks ago. I was like, OK, this is really, really fascinating. And music's not normally in my wheelhouse. 
But it was uh, definitely something that I dove into, and they've got a bunch of YouTube clips and audio clips um, and a kind of a timeline that I think if you just like music or if you know the song at all will be really interesting to you. So I'll play a little bit of maybe the original version that I heard in 1990 that kind of creeped me out so you can see why it made my skin crawl a little bit when I was a kid. remember this song from high school because I'm ancient but I do understand why it creeped you out because it does have a very haunting melody but I'll be interested to read the history of it because that's it's really interesting yeah it, it, that and it's a little voyeuristic because she's sitting in this cafe like talking about everybody else there and like looking through the window and watching people it's just it's it's yeah it's a little creepy but all right Jen so what do you have for your show and tell well, I am torn between something that's very bittersweet and something that will make everybody super happy. Go bittersweet. Uh, yeah, that kind of fits with mine. Okay. All right. Well, um, as you know, the lead singer of Linkin Park, Chester Bennington, killed himself uh, a few months ago, and it was very shocking to everybody who knew him. But the week before he had died, he had recorded a carpool karaoke with Ken Jong for their new show. Oh, wow. And um, Ken, Ken had even tweeted when he died, like, we just recorded last week. He seemed fine. And I think I think the problem, one of the campaigns they're trying to get out there is that, you you know, you can see a depressed person every day and you, and you would never know what's going on inside of them. And when you watch this carpool karaoke, Chester is full of joy and laughter and having a great time. And the band decided to release it because they wanted to people to see, you know, like it's not always easy to spot someone who's in so much pain, but it's also a really nice tribute to him. Like what a great guy he was, how much he loved music, how much he loved his family. So it's hard to watch it, but it's also really important to watch it. And I'm sorry for doing two carpool karaoke show and tells in a row, but I thought this one was kind of important. And I really yeah. like that they released it because it was a nice kind of uh, eulogy for him to see him so happy with his band and enjoying his life, unfortunately, to only meet his demise a week later. So yeah. that's up online. And it's carpool karaoke with Linkin Park and Ken Jeong. Yeah, very cool. I, I, I appreciate that, Jim, because I think... A lot of the conversations around when any celebrity, you know, commits suicide is, oh, we didn't know. He seems so happy. He seems so this. And that that's part of the disease that leads them to do it in the first place is that they can look like everything is going their way. Um, but on the inside or even just on a certain day, things can spiral completely out of control. And it's not something that if you're not intimately involved in the everyday um, goings on inside their head, you would even be able to foresee. So uh, I think that's a, a very well said, Jen. Woo! So excited to yeah, be here, man. my boys, Lincoln yes. Park. Yeah, Chester, Mike, Joe. Ah, oh, this is like the best doing carpool karaoke. My humble pitch is just I can join the group, maybe. 
Maybe. We'll see. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we'll see. It feels like a real band already, huh? Yeah. We're already fighting. <laughs> I had a dream last night that I was a part of Lincoln Park, and I'd successfully changed the name to Ling Ken Park, K-E-N Park. Nice. Huh? So you just come in and you take over the band. Yeah. I love it. Totally. <laughs> I won't lie to you. This is a wet dream of mine to be especially in Lincoln Park. This is a weird way to meet somebody. We went straight to wet dream. <laughs> Within, like, it, was, it was five seconds to wet I'm dream. I'm really interested in what this okay. dream is like. And then there was an orgy, right? Like, a, like, is it was a wet dream or? Don't be gross. It's fine. Let's just drive. Let's just, you know what? Let's sing some One, two, songs. Three, oh. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure. This episode of Broadway World Sound Like a Pop podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com and you can get new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. Make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Sound Like It Pop. Also remember to follow Jen on Twitter at Ebony and Q and me at BWW Matt and the show at SLIP Podcast. And go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and rate and review us, please and thank you. We will be back uh, again at some point in the future. Maybe we'll talk about documentaries catch up on my podcast that I have to listen to, Jen, and I think we should do a Battlestar Galactica um, check-in at at some point, too, so maybe that'll be the bulk of our next episode. Uh, We'll be back to talk about something here soon. If you have any suggestions on what you want to hear us talk about, tweet us. You can find us uh, at all of those places online, and until then, we'll see you around the Broadway world. (laughs) 